Hi guys, this is Dre Harrison from the Motorsport 101 podcast. The following show will contain dialogue um, that, let's be honest, will contain transphobic rhetoric and use of sexual language you may find upsetting and or uncomfortable. Please bear that in mind um, when listening to the show. Please look after yourself. I warn you, it will be in the back end of the show. So as soon as we stop talking about the driver intros, that might be a fair time for you to stop. Don't worry, we understand. As always, thank you very much for listening. Dre, could you believe how pointless that whole segment was? Yeah, man, so much money and so much time and in surprisingly good weather as well. Yeah, but like everybody's standing there in their hot clothes, just they they don't need to do this. I mean, we never used to go through all this pomp and pageantry. Like, what's the point of it all? It doesn't even have an impact on anything that we're doing later on in the day. We, I mean, we can't believe we just sat around to watch that long and painfully cringy, overblown ceremony, right? Well, enough about the coronation. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Oh, that is so much better. <laughs> I had to watch several people on Twitter first over a Tory MP holding a sword. And somehow, in the eyes of many, that wasn't the cringiest moment of the weekend. Hey, everybody. I'm Dre Harrison, your friendly neighborhood host. And welcome to episode 440 of Motorsport 101. And welcome to the 2023 F1 Miami edition. It's episode 440. You can't get the backbeat out of my head. <laughs> very good very good yeah this was a this is an interesting one I, I, like it's for me it strikes me as a very discourse heavy sort of grand prix in a good way in a bad way in an indifferent way there's a lot of different ways to um to look at this one like i i, I think as a grand prix i get it out of the way now i thought it was okay yeah Maybe. i thought it was fine i thought it was perfectly fine far from a classic far from the worst race i've ever seen it's better than baku i know where the bar rests i don't care it still cleared it yeah this yeah this was this was acceptable this was probably the best race we've had so far this season which probably says a lot more about the state of the season than anything else but um like we had some passing i think a lot of people were scared about the drs zones being shortened and i think it actually turned out all right in the end um there was enough there for drivers to attack without it being a foregone conclusion and there was enough for drivers to be able to counter attack i think that's the sweet spot um and i think overall it was okay um but dre dre harrison you're forgetting the most important thing that came out of this whole whole grand prix in a vacuum and that is that by finishing 10th Kevin Magnuson of the MoneyGram Haas F1 team secured 10,000 people free burritos from Chipotle after the race. I enjoyed yes. one. There I got go. one. I yes. got one. I enjoyed it very much. Um, however, as I took each bite, I was just thinking, damn it, another 11th place for Sunoda. 
Oh, it comes at the Japanese man's expense again. Yeah, it's 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 a sad one, but uh, yeah, shout out to my to our, to our friends at MoneyGram and uh, congrats to them. Then uh, you know, and for the Hass boys for getting a point, got to give them a little plug because they've been very supportive uh, of me personally. Not so much out of us, but uh, you know, um, it's it's a fun time. Um, but yeah, like it was. It's good to know in the case of Cam that there is such a thing still as a free lunch, uh, which is which is great to know. Um, there's a lot to get into from Miami, uh, this one, uh, because not only that, well, that, that of course was Cam Buckley enjoying his free lunch. I missed a certain RJ O'Connor was actually there this weekend representing our friends at racefans.net. So they were down there. We'll get into a little bit of that in just a minute. Um, we'll talk about Sergio Perez because my God, that's all the media is talking about off the back of the last two weekends or so. Um, we'll be talking a little bit about the driver intros because my God, I'm surprised at the amount of heat that came off of that. Y'all motherfuckers do not like American sports and anything with the dressings to do with it. I, I underestimated that shit no, no, no. so, you so gotta, much. You know, they only like the pageantry when it's on their terms. Right, right. Uh, and we'll get into some of that because this was a surprisingly heavy amount of discourse regarding this. Actually, it, look, I have come to expect the dirt worst out of the F1 community on social media. This one even caught me by surprise. I thought there'd be a little bit of blowback given it's American pageantry, but this was a level I was not expecting. My God, it blew up on, on WTF1 and the races, uh, social media networks talking about it. it. It came up a lot. There was a full-blown, like, discourse and debates between us on our, our company slack chat it, it was something let me tell you um, Dude, it was like it was like that too in my work not to the same degree but like every time i would get a byline in something that i contributed to because my fortunate race fans when i'm at a grand prix weekend is to be there to talk to people while the rest of the team including my editor-in-chief keith collentine and the rest of the crew all works from Oklahoma home to like write up the stuff that, that I record based off the interviews and the press conferences that I attend. And every time I would get tagged in a byline, I would get blowback from it. And wow. for me, well, uh, I, I work with a Ferrari fan, so I just laughed at them for a while. I don't think it's quite the same, Cam, somehow. <laughs> just, 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 just thought I'd throw that one out there. Um, but we, we got to ask straight from the man himself. Let's let's talk to our Joe O'Connell, who was down there in person um how was miami for you floor is your Motor- friend. well first and foremost before i get into that motorsport.com for motorsport101.com freudian slip um for everything to do written material podcast episodes past podcast episodes um we'll talk about all our social media links later let me talk about my experience for about the Miami Grand Prix. And and I could only speak from my own experience working behind the scenes. I didn't pay for pennies, very precious pennies, very precious dollars, very precious stacks of dollars to get our general admission at ticket as a, as a fan. But from my own experience, I felt that if you were working the event as a member of the media, that everything was better organized and more thought out than it was last year. Uh, we had new media center space. It's actually in the press box and uh, part of the executive suites. Uh, and in some of those, you get an actual view of the new team villages, the hospitality units that they put on the pitch of Joe Robbie, Pro Player, Dolphins, Dolphin, Landshark, Dolphin, Sun Life, New Miami, Hard Rock Stadium. 
And having that space away from the garages made everything feel a little less claustrophobic than it was last year. Um, so that was good. Um, and also, hey, good news. We solved the ultimate first world problem from last year's event. The Paddock Club didn't run out of food, everybody. That's Thank great. God. Um, I will say that um, I didn't know what to expect from the race itself going into the weekend, but I did like that they listened to the feedback about the track surface because last year when I sat down with Richard Cregan, who was one of the promoters of the event, he was very confident in saying that like this tarmac is a bit shit, but it's a challenge. Uh, and that's just a challenge that the drivers are going to have to adapt to. But instead of doubling down, which I feared would be the case, uh, they resurfaced the track. And it's still a bit of a unique challenge. It's faster, but there's still not as much grip as your average circuit. But it wasn't falling apart. Grip off the racing line was still at a premium. Grip when the track was green came at a premium. So imagine Especially with uh you know multiple rain showers nothing actually during the event but in between events it just kept washing all the rubber off the surface i was was there was an engineer from from it was one of the teams that i don't know which one it was but he was doing like a track walk at night and then it just flooded oh Saturday no night, pretty much and then by the time i woke up sunday morning having slept through all of that it was just like huh there's a few puddles out there, but nothing to indicate there was monsoon rain overnight. That's Florida weather for you. Um, and on Sunday, I really thought that because there was so little grip and because there's perception that on-track passing is going to come at a premium with the shorter DRS zones, with the fact that these cars are now more topside aero-dependent than they were last year, uh, that some drivers who were starting out of position for the race like, let's say, for instance, Matt's Verstappen, might get a bit desperate trying to make ground early, force an early pass, and cause some carnage along the way. Now, it didn't pan out like that. Everybody finished the race. Not everybody finished it well, but everybody still finished it. And there were still over overtaking opportunities to be had despite the pessimism from the drivers earlier in the weekend. And also, admittedly, our own pessimism. After the Baku race, we come into Baku and we're going to Miami, which we think, God, this is just another cookie cutter track where passing is going to come at a premium. And I'm not saying that this was a classic or anything like it was fine. But there was action. There was genuine midfield action where people could not only overtake, but also counterattack. Um, the real lack of action came from the top few positions where, well, it's F1 in 2023. Who do you think won? There's a Red Bull one, too. Um, not much more needs to be said about that, but we will. Uh, I think from a surface level, I really it felt like there's always going to be the risk of the first year buzz of this event dropping off because it is a bit of a novelty race in many, many ways. I think a lot of people were ready to point at empty pictures of empty grab stands during practice and qualifying and use that as an indictment that the event was already failing. Why, why are you judging it based on free practice and qualifying attendance, first and foremost? But in reality, a lot of those people who were gathered for some of the Friday and Saturday were just watching it from other areas surrounding a massive campus that has a lot of shit to do in it. And the stands were still adequately full for the session that matters most, which was the Miami Grand Prix itself. 
So that was good. Um, we'll talk about it. The attendance was actually up last year, at least the announced attendance. Yeah, do I, the, do I believe that like they may be fudging the numbers a little? Probably. It's not out of the realm of question, but it's not like it was a total ghost town. People still came up with a lot of money to pay the exorbitant ticket prices, which I know the event was still selling out, but that doesn't mean I have to like how expensive everything is with the hundreds of thousands of dollars in tickets and the $42 Wagyu steak sandwiches that are just have a little That was pathetic. That was pathetic. That's not a sandwich. That is just a hot dog with- is more of a sandwich than that sandwich going around the internet. <laughs> to be fair, it was also a crypto bro getting punked, so I have no sympathy for him. It's a very oh. weird, it's a very weird crowd. And like we could talk about it how there's a dichotomy between what Miami is, what the Miami Grand Prix is, where it sits, and a bunch of other places like I know the fan experience at this specific event was best enjoyed if you're working behind the scenes or if you got a VIP pass. It's like that last year. It's like that again this year. Um, for me, having been to Circuit of the Americas a couple of times, fan experience is much more organic and a lot better. And now with Las Vegas on the horizon, Miami's got to think of something to try and keep themselves relevant on the calendar i think because i know they got a 10-year contract but having las vegas there it's going to take a lot of the shine off of miami yeah yeah everything that race is going to try to be is going to be all the pageantry that you've seen here times a hundred because it's las vegas that's what the city's all about yeah, I, I spoke at length about this on WTF1 with guests like Vincenzo Landino, who is very plugged in to the, the US market when it comes to F1, and he said the exact same thing. Like, having, like, they killed their own hype going into this race a little bit by announcing they were going to Vegas in between the first and Miami, first and second Miami races. And, you know, they jacked the prices up even more compared to Miami. Um, they're already talking about five hundred dollars, um, you know, tickets with no guaranteed view of the track, um, and uh, it's I even mean, more in it's even more in F one's best interest to promote that one because they're promoting both these new American races as sole promoters. Oh yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, Dre. I mean, we have multiple people in our own community who live on the West Coast and in the surrounding area mm. who were interested in going to the race. Heard the initial talk about the prices and immediately struck that off of any plans they might have in the future. It's a must yeah. check for most people. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, yes, the event was a success. And yes, it was an announced sellout. But that does not mean I have to like how prohibitively expensive the whole thing is. It, it doesn't necessarily indicate great health for the event behind the scenes and in the context of what they're about to start doing in the United States elsewhere indeed indeed but uh um, I, I, I generally speaking though like i got to enjoy a little bit of the high life i got to enjoy like there was a moment on friday where i walked in and there's a throng of photographers and videographers standing at the entrance of the paddock waiting to snap photos and video of all the vips and celebrities and, i mean you're talking about pop culture icons motorsports and non-motorsports legend billionaires of various different scrupules uh or lack thereof and you know i I was i clocked what was going on i was just like you know what 
I'm just going to walk in and strut in like I was part of the <laughs> the whole thing. Like, yes, I belong. Why not? You deserve to be in the same company as Tyreek Hill, Tom Cruise, and the Williams sisters. Because why the fuck not, RJ O'Connor? I'll take, I'll take Patrick about, Mahomes. What about sure. being in the same company as Elon Musk? We're going to talk about that later on in our segment. I feel like this show is structured in a way to get me specifically increasingly more in my feelings. And you'll go as you go along, you will understand why. Oh, yeah. It, I can confirm that it was Patrick Mahomes Jr. It was not the Orlando Magic Rookie of the Year contender, Paolo Banchero. Yeah, we got we, we, we got that confirmed. Thank, thanks, Jason, in the chat for just clarifying on the identity because Martin Brundle gets mixed up, bless him. He's, he's done 25 years of grid walks, and even he can still get it wrong on occasion, which I also think is probably part of the charm. Friend uh, of the program, Martin Brundle, I feel friend, like we have to say. Friend of the program, Martin Brundle now, <laughs> which is still a weird thing to, for me to even say. And if, if you want a shameless plug on the other podcast that I may or may not host, HTW, I, actually, we were actually, I was actually very lucky to be able to spend an hour sat down with uh michael italiano former uh performance coach of daniel ricardo and now yuki sonoda um great insight from him if you want even more detail about what miami was like how, how much swearing has his ears heard a a, a transcendent amount he uh is, is what he's, he's what he told me off the record bless him our cuss, uh, our cuss and stone is putting in work to get blood from a stone yeah tell you what that work is keeping them barely above the bottom in the table in the slurry that is the lower midfield fight. God, McLaren got the heist of the century, getting all those points in Australia because, damn, they did not look good. And, and Miami, and, and the is, strange thing. Can I just say, this is the B-spec car. Yeah. This thing stinks. They were good in Friday practice, and then they were nowhere on Saturday. So were Mercedes, RJ. But Mercedes could at least fight back and get both their cars in the top six. RJ, could you, RJ, just think about what you're saying for a moment. If we get to a point where Mercedes genuinely cannot score points on merit, I'm pretty sure racing Twitter will melt. Yeah. It's like Hamilton was straight up bad in qualifying, ended up P13, and it was like it was like a nuclear winter had just started on Twitter. Like it was, it was fucking wild. Um, I've, That's why I don't use Twitter much while I'm while I'm working in a racetrack. I'll be real with you. No, it's better that, for me. It keeps me on task. Yeah, that, that that is a very wise decision. Um, but uh, yeah, right. So let's get into the let's get into the race in itself a little bit here. Um, we'll get back to other extracurricular discussions at the end of the show. Yeah, I'd be saying Max Verstappen had to work hard for his Miami victory, but he didn't. He had to start from ninth on the grid after he pulled out of his banker lap in Q3, only for Charles Leclerc to crash into the wall on his final run, ending the session two minutes early, and put in teammate Sergio Perez on pole. Yeah, that's the fourth Charles Leclerc incident, uh, crash into a wall in his last two race weekends. Not good. Um... Perez was too slow on his medium tire run at the start of the race, while Max Verstappen took just 15 laps to get through the field and into second. When Perez boxed for hards, Max was able to go three seconds faster over that crossover period. This was despite his tires being 22, was it, Cam? 22 laps 22 older? 22 laps older on right. the same compound. 
Max boxed for mediums, passed Perez around the outside of turn one for the win a lap later, tying Sebastian Vettel's team record for 38 victories under Red Bull Racing's colours. 38, that's a, that's a terrifying number for a guy who's not even 26 until the, until the autumn. The guys, the question I ask is, given that this was meant to be the Checo round, did we overdo it on Checo? Wait, Ooh. hang on. Y'all out there believed the hype? We may really? have done a little bit. Oh, that's 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 delicious. That is hilarious. Um, to summarize this performance, beatings, super beatings, beatings that have ascended past beatings, or you could just call these super beatings too. <laughs> and then when he bolted on the mediums, it was beatings even further beyond. I mean, if if this race isn't going to convince the media at large of the inevitability of where we're heading this season, I don't think anything will. No, Max, I... Ma- Max had a pretty disastrous Q3, went wide on his only lap that anyone got in because Charles Leclerc is just uh, magnetically attracted to walls in this car at the moment. Can I just say, like, Ferrar- Ferrari brought in an upgrade to the floor that Jacques Clear had said that was going to make the car more drivable. And he explained this to me after Charles Leclerc had two almost identical crashes in practice and qualifying at the same spot. I believe after the race, both drivers still felt like this car is very, very. It's undrivable. Yeah. Sorry, it's, <laughs> it's... Uh, uh, to, to take a, uh, to take our um, occasional, our, our occasional Ferrari dunking session uh, all the way into session. Mm. Uh, it oversteers, it understeers. It's not very quick in a straight line. It's not very reliable. It's not very drivable. It's not all that good on the brakes. It's not all that good on corner entry. It's very peaky. It's very, very peaky. I mean, I mean, there was the the crash in qualifying. Leclerc sent it in, and you can see the car lurching mid corner, almost like how the Mercedes did last year with the porpoising. Um, and it just sent him off, you know, spinning front over back just into the wall i mean this car stinks carlos Sainz jr bless him probably could have been in line for a podium if he hadn't got that five second time penalty no no he wouldn't have because it would be a reach but he wasn't that that far out of it do you are you in the next are you in the next olympics (laughs) you should be with that reach i mean they had no pace rj when you bolt the softs on this ferrari they melt when you bolt the mediums on this ferrari they're slow when you bolt the hards on, they can't switch the tires on, so they're really slow. That sounds like their whack program. Oh, God. Uh, uh, it's just... And this is the classic case for Ferrari, where they try to develop... A, you know, they came into last season with a quick car. If nothing else, the 2022 car was fast. Fast if flawed. And yet, they've developed, and it's brought them... They've not improved any of the good aspects of last year's car. Well, it seems to have exacerbated all of the flaws. Um, I I don't know what Ferrari's path is forward from here. Uh, back to the matter at hand. Uh, yeah, Max Verstappen laid his dick out on the table. <laughs> um, 45 laps on one set of tires. And for most of that stint, when he and Checo were both on hards, he was faster despite a over 20 lap offset on the tires. I mean, there's, there's no way there's no getting around that. Yeah. I mean, look, as a newly fully fledged member of the media, um, 
guilty as charged, Your Honor, is what I would say. Um, after that second win of the year in... It was the first win, actually. It was it was off the Jeddah, I was told. Drake, can you write a script about, you know, how Perez and Verstappen could be the new Hamilton and Rosberg? <laughs> and, uh, I, I had to kind of hide my true feelings when I wrote that script because I knew that, you know, you look at the calendar and you go, like, a lot of the rounds where Perez would be strong are in the first four or five rounds of the year. There was a reasonable chance that Perez could win the first, two, like, could win three or four out of the first five, and then people would start talking. And it's kind of what happened. And then even then, there was mitigating circumstances. For instance, Jeddah, we all know Verstappen had a, you know, not working drive shaft after it wasn't working properly. Um, and then Baku a rare, I'd argue from a personal level, a rare mistake from Hannah Schmitz to basically make a panic call and put Max in on, on when a safety car was due, knowing he was going to lose track position if he did. Um, yeah, and I mean, Baku, I think genuinely, even with the difficulty passing there, Perez had the pace. To, he did. And- if, maybe if not pass Max, though I think he could have, but certainly challenge him. Um, but I mean, we're five rounds in and that's one out of five. And, and, and even so, like in doing so, it didn't cost the team anything. It was, it was still a one-two finish, and you know, if if you looked at it purely from a team standpoint, it didn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Anyway, I mean, Dre, they're on track right now. If they keep this shit up, they're on track to score over a thousand points this year. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know calendars are bigger than they used to be. That's I know we pay out more sprint. Un- that's that's. Believable. <laughs> yeah, they are they are on they are on pace to score ninety-six percent of all the possible points on the table. Yeah. I mean I mean it is I mean this drove it home. I mean the way Max cut through the field. It was Alonzo said, what was it, twenty-five laps you think Max will get to him? Max yeah. laughed that out of the room. He caught him in fifteen. Yeah. Um, for that, I Fernando mean, overestimated himself, and that was with him going longer on the medium tire than anybody else in the field did, because we all know the Aston Martin's light on its tires. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I, that was that was one of really the only two cars that and the Red Bull which could, which could make the medium work. And uh, again, another podium for Aston Martin. Alonso's putting in a shift this year. Um, but I mean, if, if this didn't drive home just the, the sheer race day superiority of the RB19. Um, you know, throwing it back to our preseason test, uh, like coverage episode. When I said eighteen wins, I think I was lowballing them. You know, I uh, I sat in a lot of press conferences where people were, where at least one person asked, like, you know, there's a perception that Formula One is boring, so. How do you get people that want that, or how do you try and convince people to go and watch this sport when there's such an inevitability of the result of what happened? And that's that's got to be something that you got to be thinking about because, like, the TV ratings were a bit down from this race a year ago. I will say, I'm not shocked. Um, so full disclosure, right? I love me some Sergio Perez. That dude's been one of my favorite drivers to watch for over a decade. How he broke out on the scene in 2012 and soured with those multiple podiums. How he went from almost being pushed out of the sport to winning his first Grand Prix 
And then landing a seat in an elite team alone is one of the best stories in Formula One modern history. I think when all is said and done, he'll go down as one of Formula One's most popular drivers of all time, a genuine fan favorite, a driver who has revived Mexico's interest in world-class automobile racing in a way that I don't think I've ever seen ever. Like maybe back in Adrian Fernandez's prime, back in kart, at least in my living memory, he'll be one of those guys, a cult hero. Uh, the way it's trending, one of the best drivers that never won a world championship. This wasn't necessarily a terrible race for Checo. 19 points, pole position, bringing up the rear of another rum two for Red Bull. Had the net lead for a lot of it. Still fit a second, but if you really want to nitpick, this was one of those I'm not him moments, man. RJ, can I can I can I cut in on your promo here? Now, I know I know Max Verstappen's pretty good at this whole driving thing. But if you are in on pole in one of the most dominant F1 cars of the modern age, right now it's tracking like it will be the most dominant um when all said and done. And your teammates starting down in ninth, you better fucking close that deal. If you want to be taken seriously on an alternate strategy, which was worse, RJ. Yeah, that's the thing. That's what I was trying to get to is that here is the difference between a very good to great driver armed with the best all-around vehicle in the grid and an elite driver like Max Verstappen armed with the best all-around vehicle in the grid because nobody was bringing the level of speed and consistency like Max Verstappen was in that Red Bull RB19. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's it's exactly the point that I was going to make. Like Sergio Perez is the, is for me the definition of a Hall of Very Gooder. He's got a lot of marquee things that will have him be genuine remembered. X factors. Oh yeah, like he, he's he's one of these guys that will have genuine X factors and genuine extra, you know, genuine extracurricular you know, abilities in their career that will make them stand out in this era. He's one of the best midfield drivers we've had in the modern era. He plugged away at it for many, many years, got a top-end seat that he deserved, given how fucking good he was in 2020. He's he's paid his dues in the sport to be where he is. And he's earned every one of the wins he's had for Red Bull, and I'm glad he will have a good handful by the time his career said and done. That's already putting him well up the list of the best F1 drivers ever. You know, to yeah, even more than get Charles Leclerc. Yeah, like he, he, he's got as many wins as Charles already. Which is a <laughs> cool. Oh wow! Imagine, imagine if you will, at the end of 2019, telling someone on the street, "Yo, Perez is going to have a more successful career than Charles Leclerc by 2023." You would not believe them because, like, do you think? Yeah, this Aston Martin team is really going to be building itself around Sergio Perez, not even realizing that Sergio Perez isn't even going to be at the team by the time they become Aston Martin. Aston Martin, dude, they were racing point at that point. They had just survived death, in large part thanks to Sergio Perez's involvement. Yeah, Yeah. he has genuine X factors that have gotten him to this point, and they well, they are well deserved, and as. RJ alludes to fantastic fan support. I joke about it every race weekend we watch on Discord. You are guaranteed to see a pocket of Mexican fans at every Grand Prix we go to because them motherfuckers loyal. Like they don't, they ain't got very many genuine elite athletes coming out of Mexico, especially if they're not boxers. So for so for someone like Checo 
to have a genuine foothold in the sport's popularity is a remarkable achievement. Can I also cut in on a contextual thing with the say this event? Sure. Uh-huh. Uh, Miami's Latino population is not just like people from Mexico. It is a lot more spread out than that. I can guarantee you that a lot of those fans that were coming in to cheer for Checo traveled in to be there. Oh, absolutely, mm-hmm. no doubt, and it will be the same for when, when we go to when we go to Texas later this year, and I think it will probably be the same for my um for for Las Vegas later on this year as well. Like I said, them motherfuckers are loyal. When they get behind one of their own in sports, you are going to hear about it, and I mean that in a good way. However, this is the difference between a Hall of Very Gooder like Sergio Perez and a driver that, if he retires tomorrow, will probably go down in the top fifteen of drivers of all time and is only going to go up that list as the next two or three years go by. Max was untouchable. That was an incredible display of the difference in their ultimate ability. Perez is a fantastic street circuit driver. The street circuits suit his driving style. Like any other conventional sort of scenario, Verstappen has him on rails and... This was another example of that. Max was incredible. He won that from ninth, and he made it look easy. Dre, like, the second half of that hard stint was like, it, it was that sudden realization creeping across one's face yeah. where you realize, that delta's oh. not that delta's not getting any larger or smaller. Like, oh shit. No, no, it started to balloon back out. Yeah. And, yeah. and Max's over, over, yeah, right front last, was visibly yeah, over, suffering. Yeah, like over the second half of that stint when they were both on the hard tire, Verstappen actually, you know, put three seconds back out on that lead. That is incredible. On yeah. a 22-lap tire offset on the same compound in the same car. Yeah. I mean, he was, Max difference. was setting fastest laps while he was passing people. There was a point where Max was passing multiple cars a lap. Yeah. He drove by Mag- he drove by Magnuson and Leclerc down the main straight, like the, both of their engines had just blown. Yeah, it's like it's it's as Alex Jake said on commentary. It's like playing F one twenty two at zero percent AI difficulty. <laughs> difficulty turned all the way down. That's <laughs> so true. And he's so right when he says that. I mean, look. It is wild to me that, you know, Max was just carving through that field. And even so, like, the second half of that stint was just, like, I was in the exact same camp as RJ watching on. I was sitting there going, wait, shouldn't it be just the time where Perez starts eating into that advantage? Because I remember hearing on the radios, they were telling Perez at the start of that crossover period, you're looking like you're gonna you're gonna get back out on track with maybe five seconds in hand, and I, I think Red Bull were being a little conservative, which is understandable. Yeah. By the time they got to the end of that crossover, they were telling Perez one point five, and that's exactly yeah. what it was yeah, when Max came out of the pits. Yeah, yeah, like the pit stop delta was about twenty seconds. I don't know why it said seventeen seconds on the TV graphics when that was just objective. Yeah, they were incorrect. being very generous on that. I'd be like if you had one of those uh one of those McLaren uh change all the wheels and the steering wheel pit stops. Um, and the gap got down to about 14, just over 14 seconds. And then Max started putting time back into it. By the time Max pitted for the mediums, there was 12 laps to go and Max drilled him in in about two laps. Yeah. It was one lap after he came out of the pits. He got him around the outside going into turn one. 
The only way Max Verstappen was not going to make that move is if both those cars collided with one another. That that move for the lead felt inevitable. And we can have this dialogue about whether or not DRS in that context ruined what could have otherwise been a good battle for the lead. But uh, you're, you're we can't contextualize me, by that. You're telling me it would have been a good battle between old hards and new mediums. Didn't we have an entire... Aren't we still having discourse about old versus new softer tires every three days on Twitter? Like, it, it, it doesn't work because the way Pirelli has these races set up now, this one wasn't quite as bad as Baku, but it's still an unfortunate situation where Max Verstappen could be the fastest man on track on 45 lap old hard tires. In so that I'll say, like... He he does have that X factor of that like we we just see Master Sapinos this crazy wild child who's just all on ballistic. Dude, my dude can take care of the tires so like good he, while being he quick. He pulls the ballistic pace out of the car without killing the tires. He's this was the race where like this is perfectly set up as a Perez race where it's a tire conservation race and Max blew him into the weeds. Yeah, and it's a testament not only to that but to. The fact that the Red Bull is just better on tires than every other car is, bar maybe the Aston, and the Aston just can't generate that kind of lap time. Right. It, it, it's wild. And, and and yeah, if you wanted the complete showcase of Max Verstappen as a driver in 2023 and why he's the best racing driver on go. the planet right now, this is the one. And you've got the perfect comparison of, of a of a yardstick by Sergio Perez, who, like I said, is a very, very good racing driver by any and all measure. And he was beaten to a pulp on this race. And this was, ev- you gave Perez every advantage you could give him on the book. You tweaked the grid. You gave him eight extra spots. You gave him the optimal strategy to win this race on. And he still got beaten by five Dre. seconds over the line. And Max, Max did a victory dunk on him on the, on the penultimate when he set the fastest that, which was a second faster than anybody else's. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. My dude got out of the car, climbed down and then pointed to the number one on the front of his car. Like, yeah, Oh yeah! Remember why the fuck that's there? Oh yeah, that, and, that, uh, that, that was a fuck you sort of final lap. That was that was a take that uh, to anyone who thinks Perez is a title contender. Well, and to that effect as well, um, supporter of the show JB brought this out in our server. The first win from ninth on the grid since 1984 with Nicky Lauda. Yeah, from precisely ninth place, yeah. and it's the third time he's won a race from ninth or worse in the last season and change. This dude ain't no front. Ru- this ain't. This dude is not just a one-dimensional front runner. Okay. Yeah. No. Which I'll, and, which I'll admit was a little bit of Sebastian Vettel's problem for a little while because he was so efficient that people were like, "Oh well, we can't win from anywhere lower than third. Like you'd want to do that under normal circumstances." I don't know. I don't know that drive and uh, he had two drives in a row in 2012 that uh, I think anyone oh, with eyes. Anyone with eyes will say, like, yeah, he didn't win the race, but he clutched a championship, and I think that's a little sweeter. Oh, yeah. Like, they were career-defining wins. Like, from, from oh, not wins, but drives. Our, uh, and that, and that Ab- Abu Dhabi 2012 was yeah, you know. a meme around sure. that track, the, the antithesis of a passing track. Oh, yeah. Like, this was a beating by all accounts. But, you know, that was the highlight coming out of Miami, and it was yeah. a, a hell of a spectacle if you're a Red Bull fan. 
Let's if you're a net, it's if you're a neutral observer, though, this is just like, oh god, this again. Yeah, like he might reset the single season wins record, but on the other hand, you could get your cup filled with champagne by some guy carrying a poodle. So who's to say if this is really bad? <laughs> right, you know, it's all it's all in the nuance, as they say. Now, I can't believe we're talking about this, but I feel like we kind of have to, given the discourse at large. There was a lot of backlash over the driver intros being brought back for the first time since Michael Buffer literally stumbled his way through them back in 2018. And old Cool J spat some bars about all 20 drivers on the grid, but only three actually and actually interacted with him. Logan Sargent, Lewis Hamilton, and Max Verstappen. And most of the fans and some of the drivers shat on it from a great height. With and I, I say in the script here, with talk there, there could be more coming soon. I can confirm there will be more of these over the course. They're, they're, they're planning six more of these over the season, basically. Um, they're going to work on it, from what I've been told um, in, from insider sources. They are going to work on the format a little bit, but I can confirm on this podcast that there will be more of these driver intros coming up um, over the course of the season. So with more on the way... Do you think the pageantry of driver intros is too much for Formula One? Okay. I will give some of the drivers a pass for feeling down about it because they're ultimately the ones that were standing out there in the mid-afternoon heat humidity and all their overalls and fireproofs for a bit longer than they're used to and probably want to. If this is your first time, remember the climate of South Florida is uh, oh, it's a bit like... Spicy. It's it's hot. It's humid. You don't. I didn't want to stand out in the heat that long, and I was wearing all the lightest clothes I possibly could. I didn't have to drive a car for ninety minutes. Yeah. Quick, quick side note on that one. Sorry to cut you, RJ, real quick. Just wanted to say I spoke to Michael Italiano about this on the WTF One podcast, and he said the same thing. He had inside knowledge. Like Yuki liked it, is what he said to me. But he also said it was annoying for us as a performance standpoint because they it took five minutes out of their warm up time before they get into the car. Definitely. Which, which is why the drivers were generally quite cranky about it, and they weren't all that enthusiastic about the oh, idea. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I asked that question to George Russell directly after the race, and he was, like, wound up about it, man. But yeah, like, I don't think the drivers hate it personally. I think they hated the fact it cut out of their pre-race warm-up routine. I think that was the real issue. Yeah. Forgive me. Carry on, RJ. Sorry. And I'll also go back to my bag of giving it to my guy, Fernando Alonso, because he brought up a fair point that it's not fair that some of these Formula One events are going to get the full red carpet, all-star gala treatment compared to others, which are not. And that's entirely fair. You want 25 Super Bowls. You don't want to necessarily do like sit Super Bowls and like, 18 or 19 Pro Bowls or international game kickoffs or anything that feels less. So with those considerations in mind, okay, and admitting my bias as a, a, an American host who grew up on American sport, Cam is also an American host who grew up on American sport, and Dre, oh, yeah. you, are, you are a British man who loves the pageantry of American sports. So with those biases oh, yeah. in mind, God, I am amazed at how much y'all motherfuckers hated this shit. Like, right. dog, like, we're not even making you sit through pre-race prayers, compulsory denominational pre-race prayers, or displays of paid patriotism bank rolled by our armed forces as a tool for y'all recruiting young men. Y'all hate the Daytona 500. 
Oh my! That's, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, for me, like when I watch combat sports like boxing and MMA, and even like pro wrestling. I know pro wrestling sports entertainment is a dirty word in most sport, but like when the when the athletes walk on for that, that shit gets me hyped. Like when they have an all star game in pro sports and they introduce all the players, like that gets me hyped. We can even just extrapolate this out to motorsport. The Indianapolis 500. I'm not even going to talk about the greatest spectacle of motorsports copyright spat for this exercise, but the Indianapolis 500 has driver introduction ceremonies that everybody loves. The Daytona 500, same thing. At your NASCAR race at Bristol. Dude, Super GT Series in Japan just had a man dress up in a full cartoon bear mascot uniform for the pre-race driver introductions hours before the race. And then he got back into the car. That would be Koki Saga of the APR racing team and contributed to a top 10 finish on the day. I think one of the bits of like sport at large that transcends all sport, like when you think of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls of that 90s run, what's the one thing you think of? The Chicago Bulls walking out to playoff games to the Allen Parson Project series. And, and you have the PA announcer introducing at Sit Sits from North Carolina, Michael Jordan. Like that okay, shit okay, is okay, so cool. That shit is so cool. I love that. And one thing I really think is like Formula One is very proud to market themselves as the pinnacle of motorsport. These are the rock stars of racing. These are the best drivers in the world. In that sense, wouldn't you want to make them feel like that? And in the grand scheme of the things, not to give away too much of what we're going to talk about next, is this really the worst that Formula One has to offer? But I guess it is empowering in a way to think of how the perception of America's role in Formula One has grown from, oh, we're too stupid to comprehend race cars turning left and we're completely irrelevant to we're powerful enough to destroy the very fabric of the sport with our greed and, uh, and gluttony. I don't know, man. I feel like uh, some people need to get over themselves. I feel like some pe- a lot of people take the shit way too seriously when they don't need to. I feel like some people just need to grow up. Yeah, I I mean like I mean I mean when Liberty was talking about turning every F1 race into its own miniature Super Bowl and y'all were celebrating it, what do you think they were talking about? They weren't talking about the on-track product. They were talking about the event around it. I I'd like to remind everybody here that one this is America. No one does pomp and circumstance in the world better than the Americans. And we uh, and this is coming from a British man who, you know, we play second on this quite a lot, only in more subtle and often more political ways. Like I said, I come from a country that just spent a hundred million quid on a fucking cor- king being coronated in the year of our Lord, 2023. I know not a lot of the back, not all of the backlash was coming from the the British establishment, no. but, but a lot of it did. And I follow a lot of Brits. A, not, a non-zero amount did. Oh yeah, like a lot. Of, Brits were bringing over coronation flags to celebrate during this weekend. Like the <laughs> the Tory never falls far from the tree, um, is what I would say in response to that. No. Look, I'm a Brit. Like I said, I, I and I wrote about this in the race as well. The race were very kind to give me the platform to talk about it, and they thought, "Who the fuck is this TikToker?" Which I thought was quite funny. Um, but 
they gave me a platform to talk about it, and I said, look, I am biased. I grew up on a steady stream of American sports from the time I was a child, um, whether that be basketball and taping episodes of NBA action on my old VHS at you know stupid hours in the morning, uh, you know, to you know, growing up in baseball and like I, the example I used in the race was comparing it to Mariana Rivera coming out to enter Sandman by Metallica. You know, every time he came out to close the game, that was hype as shit. And you've got a modern day equivalent of that now with Edwin Diaz coming out to Timmy the Trumpet, which is a fucking fantastic bit, which, you know, get well soon, Edwin, by the way, um, because that was hype as hell. I loved that. I love the fact that sport, can make characters seem larger than life because in many cases they are. And the way Formula One is discussed and and talked about on social media, it's like the discourse is purely on it's a personality game now. And it has been for quite a long time. There are people that dedicate their entire social media footprint towards their favorite driver, whether it be Hamilton, Verstappen, Leclerc, you name it. It is a personality-driven sport. Just I know people that have Pierre Gasly and Yuki Tsunoda fan pages and then separate update pages to update you on what's being posted on their fan pages, man. Right. Like, this is a personality-driven sport more than it is an engineering one, and it has been for quite some time. So on a fan what, level, yeah. On a fan level, right? So why not, like, the sport leaning into that and giving people wrestling-style entrances is probably the most meta thing that Formula One has done with its If sport. anything, they didn't go far enough. Right. If anything, it could be much larger and, and bombastic. They could have gone full WWE and had pyrotechnics and laser shows and like I think people would I think people would have still shit on it, but they could have easily gone even harder on this and I wouldn't have had a problem with it. I think it's fucking great. Like everybody keeps everybody keeps trying to tell me on many occasions on social media that Lewis Hamilton is the biggest star that ever come out of F1. And he probably is. Right, so like when a sport wants so to let champion, the sport treat them like yeah, one. Like so, when the sport wants to champion that and celebrate that, fucking let them. It's America. Like America loves Lewis Hamilton, and at this it's point, Formula it's Formula One. It's the yeah. biggest stage of motorsport. It is the self-proclaimed, it's self-marketed it, pinnacle it is of the motorsport. Definition. It is the definition of please do this for my favorite people. Wait, right. not like that. Right, like I, I find it silly that people were so quick to shit on this. Like I said, Lewis Hamilton is one of the most recognizable athletes in the world now. I would put him up there with Lionel Messi, with CR7, with Virat Kohli, with Roger Federer. He's in that sort of... Wait, thing. don't you mean James Marsden? Depending <laughs> on who you ask. Um, but this is the point, like... And like, for all you Brits out there that listen to this show, and I know you do because it's our second most listened to audience... This is on a weekend where a king was coronated, and let's not forget, the UK is hosting the Eurovision Song Contest this weekend, and you're telling me this is the one that's too cringy for you? Get real. Stop, like, like, let's stop taking ourselves so goddamn seriously as a sport, because the way we talk about it on social media is has, hasn't been serious for years. So let's like let's have a little bit of pageantry. Let's have the sport hype itself up. I mean, 
Half of you guys who are IndyCar listeners out here keep telling me that IndyCar is the greatest thing to happen to the world since sliced bread. So when F1 does the same, we're supposed to shit on that now? Come on. Well, well yeah, because, I mean, they, they haven't seen their series be marketed or outside the 500 ever. Right. You know, but I'm sure the 900,000 people who enjoyed Barber absolutely loved the, you know... You know, the invocation before we I'm rest. sure all the 0.0 TV ratings that IndyCar's Drive to Survive equivalent is getting really enjoyed it. Yeah, well, I, don't, I don't mean this to take jabs at IndyCar, but it's always like they always seem to love to punch up at what F1 does at every given opportunity. And I think sometimes it's just unwarranted. I know they pinched the greatest spectacle in racing phrase because I know they've been using that with IndyCar for years. So I, I get that to a degree. But when you see tweets like Marcus Erickson saying, please give IndyCar a chance, I'm like, this isn't, you're not going to convince anyone who's an F1 fan to suddenly right, give Right IndyCar there is, advice. right there, right there, Dre. You have the opposite, you have the opposite end of the spectrum where one sport is trying to big up its drivers with, you know, pageantry and, and pomp and the big marketing push. And then you, on the other side, you have a driver literally taking to Twitter to beg people to watch the series because the series can't be asked to get off its ass and market anything outside the 500. Right. We I didn't can know, I didn't know we were going to do an impromptu shitting on IndyCar segment. Jeez. No, like it's not even, look, we're not even shitting on IndyCar directly. I'm shitting on some of the culture surrounding its series because a lot of them couldn't wait to point fingers at this and go, oh, this is terrible. And I'm like, well, parts of... Uh, we can admit that parts of it were terrible, but the Miami Grand Prix experience are genuinely terrible. We just talked about some of them earlier in the show, and we'll talk about plenty more of them later. There are bigger that? fish to fry when it comes to this event. Correct. And I, I all right, Eric. All right, Eric. Traffic control. Let's uh, let's uh, let's all gather right, in um, here for a steady approach. I'm gonna um, uh, I'm gonna get the cooking oil. Right. Good news, as mentioned. Miami sold out with a 30,000 increase in attendance over last year's race for 270,000 on the weekend. Bad news, they went in hard with the discounts and price crashes to shift the last few seats at the last minute. Combine that with the near radio silence from the media in regards to Florida's political stances, bar Lewis Hamilton, as ever. What does the future of Miami as a venue look like? Now, All right, I, folks. Now I would like I would like in this moment to sit back, um, plate up some uh, a sandwich that actually isn't pathetic, and uh, I yeah. myself am just going to let RJ cook here. Yeah, right. like, like, okay. Like I'll let you in on a little secret. We have scripts for this show, and we do write some notes out before we get going. RJ's written a genuinely quite empowered speech so right. I, I will proudly say as right. the show let me step right. aside and let and let rj cook the floor is yours buddy all right time for me to try and land this plane now you you gotta forgive me i haven't done this a while but i i think i've got more flight hours than anybody on this aircraft i've studied the the manual back and forth i think i could put this plane on down on the ground and get everybody back to where they need to go safely right in terms of the grand prix itself right we, mm -hmm. we talked a little bit about like the Grand Prix in, in a vacuum. Like it's on a 10 year contract. There's trouble with the fan experience. It's exclusive and, and a not in really a good way. You know, that's, that's all things that like are separate from like this other thing that I want to talk about. And this is like the state of things in the state of Florida 
which is where Miami is located. Now, on Thursday, um, Lewis Hamilton did give comments about um, if you're if you're not aware, right? Um, Florida is ramping up its attacks on marginalized people, and it's all thanks to the wonderful contributions of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and his and his anti woke policies and empowered by the legislators in the state of Florida who will gladly do his bidding. Now, some of you may know House Bill 1557, which passed last year because of its colloquial name. It's the Don't Say Gay Bill. The Don't Say Gay Bill is basically what's banned the teaching of sexual orientation and gender identity. It started up to third grade in elementary school and could now by border the board of education as part of a recent expansion that went down within the past month go all the way up to every grade in primary school now while we were having this whole race weekend florida legislature passed state bill 254 among many many other terrible bills uh this one in particular strips away the right to access gender affirming health care for many particularly if you are on Medicaid, which is what is given if you make under a certain uh, annual income per year. They're basically depriving you of that access if you're poor. Uh, it penalizes healthcare providers with threat of felony penalties if they provide uh, gender-affirming care to somebody that they deem is not worthy. And perhaps the most terrifying thing of all about State Bill 254 uh, is a clause which allows for, quote, a non-supportive parent to have the upper hand in child custody disputes in divorce proceedings that the other parent is supportive of their trans child's health care. And what this basically boils down to uh, is a long way of saying that Florida now has state-sanctioned child kidnapping if they feel that a child is at risk of receiving gender-affirming care. All of this, by the way, is being proposed and pushed under the guise of protecting children because these sick motherfuckers are out here trying to paint queer people like myself and other of my friends and people that I care about at large as predators. And on a non-zero number of occasions, it is to deflect from their own sick indiscretions. And if you don't know, it's the same playbook they're running in Texas, where which is where Circuit of the Americas is in Austin. It is the same playbook they're running in Tennessee. That is the home state of a proposed World Rally Championship round based in the surround city that I used to live in in Chattanooga, Tennessee, all on the Eastern Front. I'll tell you, it's not just going to stop here. Anybody who knows knows that once they start with this shit, their plan that they want to do is to roll this roll back even more rights, increase the level of violence, increase the persecution, man. So when when Lewis Hamilton went on the went on record as saying what he did uh, to give his support to the LGBTQIA people in the state of Florida, I recollect that only two people, to my knowledge, went on the record to even ask him that question. One of them was a gentleman by the name of Christy Hugo. He's a host of the Fast and Furious pod, Fast and Curious podcast. He's on assignment for BBC Five Live Radio. He's a Racing Pride ambassador. Mm -hmm. um, he was working in the TV and radio pen on Thursday, which is how he asked that question of Lewis. And then on the same day, the only other person that asked any other driver, any other stakeholder 
which happened to be Lewis Hamilton, in a written media session with Lewis Hamilton, that was me. That was me. I'm not going to be one of those people that's going to insist you must credit me on your bylines. I'm not that egotistical. I just want to get the dialogue started. And I think it's good that we're at least starting the dialogue of whether or not it's right to race here. But and take it back. I wanted to ask this question with more to more than just the one driver with whom we as F1 people seem to thrust every question of social inequity or inequity upon now that Sebastian Vettel is retired. And we just assume that the other 19 drivers in the grid only care about matters pertaining to their job and nothing else. I kick myself that I did not get to ask this to the team principals and the other stakeholders in the sport. I'm not out here expecting that they give a well-dressed, well-rehearsed answer about how to fix this problem, because I know this is not their line of work, but I at least want them to start thinking about themselves as it pertains to their role in the sport. And you know what's really, really messed up about all this, about the DeSantis regime and the constant rolling back of rights uh, from DeSantis, the Florida legislature, uh, and how all of it overlaps this Grand Prix weekend is that, dude, there are few cities in America that are as vibrantly and as unapologetically queer as Miami itself. Now, is it a city with its own problems? Absolutely, man. And mm-hmm. those are problems that, you know, I as a non-resident, I don't know if it's my place to weigh in on them so much, but I also know that it's a city where so many people of so many cultural and ethnic backgrounds way more honestly it's more diverse than some parts of new england or the pacific northwest they come together to celebrate together to mourn together to share the rest of their lives with people that they love together and this is also why i want to get something very important that i want to talk about like we definitely need to have the same uncomfortable dialogue about whether it's right to race here that we do when we're very comfortable about talking about whether it's not to race in a former Easter Bloc state like Hungary or Russia or a Persian Gulf monarchy rich with oil like Qatar or Saudi Arabia. But, and I know we just spent a bit of time dunking on the Brits for talking about something that's not, not a life or death issue. This is something different. We've got to be careful not to paint the people in Miami and not to paint the city of people to say to Florida at large with these broad strokes and think that this is what they want. Because Lewis Hamilton said it himself, this is not what the people want. Because yes, there are true believers who want people like DeSantis, people to ramp up the cruelty and got him into two terms of Florida governor. You know, I understand there are people who want that. But if this is what everybody wanted, then let me ask you this. Why are so many people like me weighing up the decision of whether or not to spend every penny that they may or may not actually have to uproot themselves and move as far away to safety as possible, or whether it would be best for them to stay planted where they are and try and turn back and fight against the tides of literal fascism at risk of persecution and violence against themselves and everyone that they care about. First and foremost, and I'll say this on the record, off the record, anywhere, I'm immensely proud to call RJ O'Connell a friend and a colleague, and I commend your bravery, because I 
I probably wouldn't have gone down that road. Even I know asking Lewis about these sorts of questions is reasonably safe because he's been the one to lift his head above the parapet more than, quite frankly, anyone in F1 history regarding social justice issues like this. Um, and I openly admit, I'd probably be a chicken by comparison. So the fact that you and, and Christian did is immense, and I give them all the, the praise and the credit. I gave you and him all the all the praise and credit in the world. And I wrote about this on Motorsport 101's website, and thank you to everybody who signal-boosted that, by the way. I do really appreciate it. And... I, I genuinely believe, as a cisgendered male, hmm. that what RJ's talking about as a queer person, as someone who, you know, has has family members who this directly affects, the, the LGBTQIA plus community have been speaking on about these issues and have been warning people <coughs> about the way the legislature was turning years ago. And... It sucks that there's not enough cisgendered people out here that are prepared to put their name out on this publicly, especially from my fellow peers in the media. And I, I've, I'm pretty confident I can say that most people are quite supportive of the issues that RJ has been talking about, but they don't want to put their names on it publicly, or they're going to be censored by the publications that they work for. And I'm delighted that race fans let you say your piece. Even I know your running die was, was a bit more subtle in the word and the, and the language. No, no, no. Trust me. Like if, mm. if my paddock diary had included all the thoughts about this, that I wanted to include it originally, brother, that would have been twice as long and they've kept me in a, that they kept me to work out. It was not necessarily a don't talk about this thing. It was more like a keep it under 1500 words sort of thing. Right. Well, I get that. And like, I'm lucky that with M101 and the platform that we have, that we don't have to abide by that sort of editorial guidelines. I don't go by them and I never have. And, um, I can't guarantee that WTF would have given me that same luxury. In fact, I'm pretty confident they wouldn't, if I'm being completely honest. Um, and well, well, I mean, Dre, I mean, for, for those of you who don't follow us on Twitter, there's a very good reason why our pin tweet is what it is. And that is that we here at M101 believe that this show is for everyone. This is a platform made by all walks of life and for all walks of life. Absolutely. And I believe that that is what motorsport can be i don't know if the miami grand prix can be because look even before all this come up came up we had discourse about whether or not it was right for people to protest the event thinking that these were just affluent nimbies who were complaining about the noise when no miami gardens is actually a working class neighborhood with a bunch of people who quite frankly don't care about formula one and have been told over and over in subtle and not so subtle ways that this event is not for them right yeah and i mean and, and we've had plenty of examples of well frankly empty talk where people like stefano Domenicali have spoken at length about taking away races from places that uh, want to infringe on people's fundamental human rights. Well, here we are. It's on my doorstep. It's in my country. Um, there's a very good reason why, you know, people on F1 TV will say, uh, they'll question openly whether it's right to race in places like Saudi Arabia. 
know, is it right to race in Florida when they're doing the same things to people? Yeah, I mean, I wrote about this on the M1 website. This, this is exactly what I was referencing. Like, I remember, I, I literally covered it as a member of the Witten Media for WTF One, and I and like Tom Clarkson specifically targeted Lewis Hamilton when asking about whether it was safe to race in Saudi Arabia. Now, to be fair, to, look, the Tom Clarkson is excellent, and I've said this many a time. I said it on the record. He's great at what he does, and I'm glad he actually asked everybody in the room that he was doing his shared press conference with about that too. So I'm glad it. it's a very rare example of someone being asked, and it wasn't just Lewis Hamilton. And what I will say on top of that is is that, and RJ alluded to it as well in, his, in, in what he had to say, was that I don't like, and this is our cultural ignorance as Western people, I don't like the fact that over the last half decade or so, it's become socially acceptable to be able to lecture Saudi Arabia and Qatar on their abhorrent human rights. And yeah, by, by all means, continue to have this discourse and conversation. If anything, I think social media is probably quite fatigued by it. And the example I used in my piece was Lionel Messi and the World Cup. Everybody was kind of excited for Lionel Messi lifting the World Cup, the one major honor of his legendary career that he hadn't had. And what happened two minutes before the infamous trophy lift? FIFA president Gianni Infantino covered him in a robe, a local robe from Qatar. That had never been done before at a World Cup final winner's trophy celebration. And if he wanted one last image of what that World Cup was really all about, that was the image. Yeah. And I was watching that on a broadcaster, ITV, that made genuine, lengthy video segments talking about some of the persecutions that the LGBT plus community faces in that country. Brave step from ITV. But genuinely, they're not going to do that for Florida. No one's going to do that for Florida because Florida's westernized. It's a culture that a lot of us, first world, Western people, you know, we can relate more to that because it's easy to point the finger at the Middle Eastern cultures that we don't quite understand at large by comparison and go, oh, look, you guys are sports washing. No, 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 no. Sports washing happens everywhere. It happens in every country. It happens on ethical levels across the board around the world and the, and the way we talk about sports and, and where politics interjects because they are very much one one and the same. And I don't like the fact that it's become socially okay to talk about those two countries and their role in this and turn the other way when a Western country is clearly going down the same road. It annoys me. It's, it's hypocritical. It should annoy everyone. Yeah, it's, it's blatant double standards, which I don't believe are acceptable. And I know, as Western people, it's a lot easier in general as human beings when it comes to psychology to point the finger and reflect on ourselves. It's always harder to do that than to point the finger and judge somebody else. And this is none of this is to say that what's going on in those two countries is acceptable. Of course it isn't. And we all and know. You're gonna, and you're going to expand that as well to Hungary, where we still race, and Russia, oh. where if not for actual damn war, we would we would likely still be racing. Let, yep. let, let, let's not forget, I come from a country that, until about a couple of months ago, was more than happy to ship off immigrants to Rwanda. 
And I don't see anybody asking to take away Silverstone anytime soon. The headline event that gets 140,000 every race day every year. Now, I'm not saying everybody's moral compass has to be the same. Quite the opposite. The fact that it isn't is what makes discourse like this so important. And I'm grown up enough to know that if we if we cut every every country that infringed upon human rights off of every calendar, oh, even just a little bit, buddy, we would have we would have short calendars, so many repeat visits. Oh yeah, yeah. we 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 be cutting our own noses off to smite our own faces, and I'm not stupid, and I'm well aware of that. But I believe. From our privileged positions, we are as journos, as member of the press, mm-hmm. in many cases, straight people, cisgendered people, mm-hmm. and particularly me as a black person. I will tell you this for free because I had to go through very, very difficult conversations regarding this three years ago when the Re Racers One movement started. And I will let you in on a little secret I was not happy when the race announced that I had joined WTF1, that they had me just labeled down as founder of M101 and vocal opponent of the Re-Racers 1 movement. Because that's not what I'm about as a content creator and journalist. There's far more to me than that. But I also understand why they did it, because it was important to have these conversations. And I've often said, and I said it three years ago, and I still say it now, it shouldn't come down to black people to solve racism. No, We need all the allies we can get, and we need allies from the community which this doesn't affect. Because people who are trans, people who are queer, people that are part of the LGBTQIA plus community have been speaking about this (coughs) for decades. Not not specifically the Miami Grand Prix. It's just a matter of... It is not... On the removal of their human rights. It is not safe for people to come visit florida in the state that it's in and it's probably only going to get worse which is why i commend everybody that is taking this chance to say like you know what maybe we will risk our own lives to fight this out if not for ourselves then for generations after us and take it from me as a person with the color of the skin that i have we and many of us that share that were more than prepared to pay the ultimate price for what we believed in. And it's and that's why it's equally important to lend our support and do the same here. And I will happily do whatever I can as a cisgendered male journalist in this space to fight this cause. And we need more people like us on that side because we are the ones that can ultimately make the noise and make the difference. Ron DeSantis is a horrible, horrible human being. He is, I, I, I jokingly described him as a 200-pound bottle of ranch dressing in that post. And, and, and that let's not forget. Extremely okay. generous. Yeah, and let's yeah. not forget. A lot of this is how trying to set himself up to appeal to a wider audience across the nation for a presidential campaign. Yeah. He's, he's more or less said the quiet part out loud that he's going to run for president. You want to talk about saying the quiet part, Brad? There's a there's a Florida representative representing Broward County, uh, Mr. Randy Fine, that said that he supports the eradication of the LGBTQIA community in the state of Florida. Now that is saying the quiet part out. That, that's full that's, volume. That, that's that's actually taking the mask off and spiking it. Yeah. When I said 
during the MotoGP episode on Austin that trans people's very existence is under threat. That was not me being hyperbolic. That was not me being overdramatic for the sake of it. That's literally where this is going. As a black person talking about civil rights, we've seen this puzzle get formed before. We've seen the steps that this goes. You see what you can take, and then you take more and more and more, and next thing you know, we're eradicating people's human rights. Yeah, as as someone who, on my mother's side, um, entire portions of my family tree were extinguished in the 1930s in Europe. And we all know That's how it starts. Yeah. And look, we're also realistic people. I think I speak on behalf of all of us here when I say we don't expect Miami to go away. We're not stupid. We we know that it's going to take a lot more than just us pointing out the obvious for anything. There needs to be a lot of critical mass. Yeah, and it disappoints me that the level of of critical mass we're talking to get a Grand Prix chalked off the calendar is either COVID-19 policy or war. Because that's the level we're talking about. That's the only. That's the that's the two most recent Grand Prix that have been struck off the calendar. China because of its COVID nineteen policy, which it's probably going to be back next year, and Russia, which you know, is trying to invade Ukraine as we speak. Uh, oh, did invade? Did invade? Are killing yeah. people? Declared right. war? Yeah, that's the level it takes to get a Grand Prix chalked off the calendar. Killing innocent people and a COVID-19 policy when the world stopped turning. Well, it's a good thing that Florida, you know, Florida, the people in power in the state just decided, you know what, we won't have a COVID policy, and they're probably on their way to the, to the second part of it, which is absolutely terrifying. I'm not out here saying that, you know, we we need to organize, like, full-scale boycotts of the Miami Grand Prix at every level, but we need to at least start having a dialogue and start asking tougher questions to people that have big stakes in the sport. If, if people who matter in the sport never ask the questions, the hard questions that need to be asked about these events and where they're taking place, nothing's ever going to change. I'm not going to be at every event. It's just me in Miami and me at Austin. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, like I, and like you mentioned earlier, Stefano Domenicali has said on the record he is prepared to strike races off the calendar based on human rights concerns. Put your and fucking money where your mouth is. And I'm sorry, Stefano, there is zero evidence that you are prepared to follow through on that. Zero. Minus one, I would actually say, at this point, given that you had no problem giving Qatar a 10-year extension and, you, and you're and you committed to 15 years of Saudi Arabia. You know what's going on. You had your governing body literally demand Saudi Arabia have women be able to drive just to get a Formula E race down there let alone the F1 race that came around a few years later. They are more than well aware of what goes down in these countries, and they do not care. They are not prepared to take a stand over sports washing and human rights issues in these countries. And when I see that they do so, I'll let them know, because there is no evidence that the sport is prepared to put its money where its mouth is regarding this. And, and, it, I could, and, and, it, and it hurts me to say that, like, this is a form of sports washing. This is not the money from this is not coming from like a sovereign wealth fund from the state of Florida, the United States, but it's coming from Stephen Ross, the principal owner of the Miami Dolphins. 
go look into his political history and where he gives his money. And you'll realize that like, oh, it's not too many degrees removed from uh, from state sanctioned sports washing. No, and let's it not really forget, isn't. And let's not forget, Formula One is the sole promoter of this Grand Prix. It's not like another track promoter like every, like most other Grand Prix go to, where it's government subsidized or along those lines, which applies to most F1 races we go to, bar in a couple like the UK, for example. Like F1, it's in Formula One and FOM management's best interest to promote the ever-loving fuck out of this Grand Prix because they're the sole promoters. And that goes for this, and it goes for Vegas as well in November. So remember that next time you see stories about legislation being changed and the direction of where this government is going in the United States, because it's going to directly affect us, and it is going to get to a point where it's going to be so large it can't be ignored anymore. I wish we as... Look, I've been on both sides of the aisle, from fan to now journalist. I wish more of us had the balls to take the you know, to, to, to to call a Stefano and say, why are you being such a hypocrite about this? And we all know what the real answer is. I just wish he was a bit more honest about that. And that's what makes all of this so frustrating. It's not the fact that we don't know this happens because we do know this happens. It's the fact that this is going down in Miami and it's going it's going to go down in Vegas and it's going down in many of the US states we're talking about right now right as the sport is pushing harder than ever to get a foothold in the US. Trey, do you know how hard it is for me to come to grasp with the fact that after years of watching Formula One from an American perspective, wishing that fans like me could be respected and have a place at the table, and now we finally have that place at the table and we have that influence and power concurrent with the rise of straight-up fascism. It's, it's devastating. I can't begin to imagine how that must feel. I know a little bit about how that feels in a sport that's so incredibly undiverse, but I'd like to think the large-scale days of people of my color of skin being wiped off the face of the earth have largely finished. It's subtle. It's more on a on a on a micro level rather than a macro level. But this this is the opposite. This is macro. We're taking away your human rights, and we're looking at entire marginalized people in the eye, and then telling you we're we are kidnapping your children because we said it's okay to do so. We, this is in the interest of protecting our children. Yeah, fucking Fuck these dudes. Fucking horseshit. Yeah, it's horrific. I fucking detest the fact that people like drag queens are being used as deflection tactics, and I find it absolutely abhorrent that we can't teach six-year-old children about gender identity in schools, but we can teach them how to deal with a fucking mass shooting. Which we won't do anything about either. <laughs> which we clear. won't do a, a goddamn thing about either. I mean, And say it's mental it, health care, even though the medical system in America is completely fucked too. If you have to make laws to hurt a group of people to try and prove your morals and faith, you have no true morals or faith to prove. And that's what makes Grand Prix on a micro level compared to the greater 
situation of the world so frustrating because we love F1. We love motorsport in general. We wouldn't be doing this if we didn't truly love what we do. And when it's, 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 I'm trying to think of the right way of wording this. It's so gut wrenching. It feels like the sport doesn't love us back. Yeah. It's gut wrenching when you want to love something that's on your doorstep and makes you feel happy, but at the same time, you can't ignore the dark shadow of what's going on over your shoulder and can do nothing about it. Please, I, I, I sincerely in, insist, please use your voices. Do not be afraid to speak out against these injustices. We're not saying, you know, roll up to a Grand Prix with pitchforks, but have the difficult conversation. Do it. We'll be better off for it. We'll all be better off for it. Absolutely. If that can go down. As for me, well, at least from my own experience, there was one other thing that I wanted to take away from this, right? Is that, yeah, I know I can pass for straight in a lot of environments. That's how I survived two weeks in the Emirates. Uh, that's how I survived Daytona and Sebring and Miami. And, you know, if just being there, doing my job and enjoying myself, whether people want me or don't want me there or really don't want me there, then as long as the work I do matters, I'd say that's job done. As I've said before, to end this show, and I think I speak on behalf of everybody when I say this, I'm Andre Harrison, and I stand with the trans community. Thank you for listening.